I'm Stephen Downey and you are very welcome to episode 37 of the Mindful Living Guide. Today I'm honoured to be chatting to Neil Kelders, who I met a couple of years back at a mental health summit in Crow Park. And we clicked straight away and we've kept in contact. Um, he also is a mental health ambassador for Sea Change and he's doing amazing work in breaking down the stigma in mental health and we're going to be chatting about uh, Neil's journey and I have to give you some trigger warnings. We will be talking about suicidal uh, ideations that uh, Neil has had over the years and uh, and his own journey, which has been very tough at times. But I think what you'll learn from this podcast is the tools that he has put in place to realise that there will be ups and downs in the future, but I have the tools in place to sway back towards the ups. And uh, I love his honesty, I love his openness, and I just think he's making a massive difference in lots of people's lives, and it's an honour to have him on the show, and um, I'm also going to be chatting about his upcoming book, which is coming out very, very soon, and um, just sit back and enjoy a powerful, powerful episode of the Mindful Living Guide. So you're very welcome to this week's episode of the Mindful Living Guide. As I said, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Neil Kelders. He is a mental health advocate, a keynote speaker, wellness consultant, and now author of the new book, The Other Side, a memoir of hope in the midst of depression. Neil, you're very, very welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here because it's been a while in the making, you could say so, but very 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 good to be here it's it's always great to talk and i i've since i've kicked off my new season of uh the mindful living show uh mindful living guide podcast i've really wanted to talk to more and more men about mental health uh because i know from my, from my own story that i didn't talk when i should have talked and i think by opening up conversations like this it's going to help more people just feel open to talk uh about their own their own difficulties and um i know you're very very open and um this is this conversation will probably get deep at times and be very open about about your own your own uh time um but can i ask how are you today how is neil at this moment neil at this moment is never speaking to you from a platform so what i mean by that is i'm always in the trenches with you because uh my big my if you if you take a look at my book, my big story is that I still go through my ups and downs, lows and highs, um, and I'm not bogged down in that anymore. Mm-hmm. So I get low. What I'm able to do is I'm able to bring myself out of it, and manage it. So instead of saying, "Oh, can I overcome this uh, depression or anxiety?" I forget that now. It doesn't matter to me because I'm strong enough with the tools and strategies and action steps that I've that I've developed over the years to bring myself out of it. So I, I'm not consumed in the lows or the, the anxiety or the overwhelm. I'm ready to, to move forward. And even today, because actually I went out over the weekend for a, a drink and it doesn't always help me. I was a little low today, but I took action today. I went to the gym, I meditated, I kept going. And I know that will turn my day around. Fantastic. And, and it's so important because I know that uh, I've talked to people in the past that feel like, yeah, I went through it, I'm grand now, everything's great. And I know like it's we all get those ups and downs and it's about, like you said, having those tools in place um, 
to to deal with it. Um, so if if we go back to to your, to your own story, Neil, and like it's it's a fascinating uh, read. I've I've been very very lucky to have a preview copy of the book uh, to look back, and um, like in, in the book you talk about your own struggles and that for nearly twenty odd years you struggled alone from a teenager. And can you bring us back to there and what it was like then? Yeah, I suppose um, when you're a child or a teenager, you don't really understand what is happening to you, what's wrong, why you're a little different in a sense. So it's very much you don't want that to be exposed, you know. And, and as a teenager, you want to be part of groups. You want to be, you know, sports or just hanging out with your friends around town, things like that. So I grew up in Killarney, County Kerry. So I'm very, it's a small community as well. So you don't want to stand out. You just want to fall along with your peers. But I always felt a little bit different, a little bit outside, and um, would get these kind of lows, and didn't understand what it was. And then I started to think at a young age, I wanted to take my life. I, I couldn't deal with this. At 15 years of age, I was thinking this. Not once a day, but countless times a day just roll on 20 years time when I went to counselling and the counsellor said to me no Neil not everybody thinks that way I it was so ingrained in my thought process at a young age that I believed after everybody had that thought Mm -hmm. that they wanted to take their life no Neil they don't and you know then what I would do I write in the the book called I wore a mask for over 21 years and when I would mean I wore a mask nobody but nobody knew what I went through not my mother not my brothers not my friends nobody and I wore this mask I was a class clown I was out with the lads I was one of the lads making people laugh and that used to I did that in order to deter people so they would have no clue whatsoever that Neil Kelder suffered from a mental health problem. Mm-hmm. So when I did eventually reveal it, they were there, what, you know, this is not, that. this can't be right. And I did so, so much covering up and it's exhausting to do so that when I was alone, those lows hit hard. And then you become overwhelmed because you knew you had to get ready to put that mask on again when you go outside that door. And so it was draining. I couldn't, I was very sporty. I knew it affected my sports as well because I'd be so anxious and wound up um, and I couldn't perform to the way I wanted to. School work, it affected me there. I got into a bit of trouble. I wasn't a bad guy. I was just a messer like the lads, but I did that for show as well. And, um, you know, I found it hard to focus because you're just these deep lows. You don't see a point in studying or you don't see a point in doing things because, you know, at the back of your head, at the back of my head, I felt, sure, I'm not really going to be around in the years to come. It's it's such a, so. a hard thing to hear. And I think it's, I but I, I think that there's many, many people that, that actually wear that mask day to day, that um, it's just, it's just a struggle just to, just to be honest and just to, to share how, how you feel. And um but I think you, you did a very brave thing on the it was the 14th of April 2014, if uh, if I remember from the book right, it's uh, it was a day that you said changed your life. Uh, can you describe the, the events of that day? And yeah. Yeah. So I was living in Dublin at the time and uh, I would call to my brother and sister-in-law's house and I was calling that morning. It was a beautiful April morning. I'll never forget it. 
uh, sun was shining, rare enough in Dublin, but um, sun shining. And I called to my sister for a cup of coffee. And I just remember walking in the door, through the door, and she's putting on the coffee. And as you go into their kitchen, there's big doors outside, feed into the garden, and you have your trampoline and your goals and your basketball net. For my nieces and nephews, they have four kids. And, you know, that 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 actually, out that garden, in a sense, used to be a sanctuary for me in escapism, because when you're with kids, you can't but be present and grounded with them at that moment in time, jumping on a trampoline and things like that. But as I went in, I, I was quite low that day. And again, I would mask it. And for some, it's, 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 I, I can't really pinpoint why I, I spoke that day, but I just said, I can't do this. And this is what I say, I can't do this anymore to my sister-in-law. And she was there like thinking it was work or something, yeah. you know, what's wrong or, and I basically said, I want to die. That's, that's what I said. And of course she's like, Neil, you what, like couldn't associate me and this, these yeah. thought, this thought process. Yeah. So then I felt I had to kind of explain it in terms that she would understand. And I'm very close to her kids, my nieces and nephews. We have a good relationship. And I kind of explained that, you know, even though they would never say my name again or, you know, ring to tell me if they scored a goal or tell me about their exams, even though I know all this and the hurt I will create to my family, the want to die is far greater. The need to die to stop this, the fatigue, the exhaustion I'm feeling, and the constant thought process and just being battered and dragged from day to day. I can't do it anymore because it was a long process up to then. It was uh, that stage. It was 21 years. And I, I just I couldn't do it anymore. And she was like, oh, geez, like she, she's very good. She's quite calm at times, my sister-in-law. So she was able to, you know, ask questions. And then once I talked and I mentioned this in the book, it was like, oh, Jesus, I'm fine. I'm grand now. You know, it's like, it like a fine. weight just lifted is, off your shoulder. And it, it actually is. It, it's cr- incredible, you know? And I was like, oh, perfect. I said, I'll see you later. And she, she said, like, well, what? What? And uh, I, because I had to go to a meeting, and she said, no, no. And I said, look, I'm fine. But of course, I did feel good talking. But as I would find out later, a week or so later, not even that, again, I was very low. And the problem with that was that I felt I had talked, I had used my get out of jail card, it didn't work and I couldn't annoy them again. So my my voice, this is what I tell people. It's easy for us to tell people to talk. It's the most difficult thing we will ever do because we're speaking about something we don't fully understand that's happening to us to someone that probably doesn't go through it and doesn't understand. So there's a disconnect. So we have to be very careful. So talking has to be in the person's own time, but it can be done in many ways. It could be writing an email or writing it down a paper. It can be any form. But a lot of times people won't talk. Mm -hmm. People will not talk. And they're the people I'm trying to get to, to help to see that they can win from within. But talking is vital, but you don't do it once. You do it countless times when you feel you need to, and when you don't even feel you need to, you keep talking. Because people would rather hear your woes than never be able to get the chance to help you or hear that at all. Okay? If we go back, that day was significant, but I'm sure a lot led up to actually that day of chatting to your sister-in-law. Um, and was that something that you tried to do 
on many occasions always and this just happened to work this day to chat to somebody no it never entered my head to wow. chat to someone no and um, because i i felt first of all maybe i can deal with it i try but you actually don't try anything you don't yeah. you just try to like for example i would be in bed for three days in darkness turning phones off cancelling meetings making excuses in in total darkness with headphones on so i couldn't hear or see anything and um, so no what what was happening was that i think i was really becoming exhausted with the constant battering i was getting from my depression to anxiety depression to anxiety to suicidal thoughts and I said, oh, I need medication, maybe, maybe I'll get medication will sort me. Uh, I get medication, maybe, and then I didn't get medication. And, uh, I, you know, I was becoming really, uh, at times when I was waking up, I used to sleep 45 minutes a night as well, that would be it. So I started, I could feel myself physically shaking in the mornings. It was getting to extremes. And I was there, like, I was working long days. I had a business in Dublin. I, I just couldn't do it. I said, I can't. I'm, I'm just worn out. I just want rest and sleep. And I felt that was the, it was coming towards the end, and, basically. And what was the reaction then um, from your family? Because obviously you told your sister-in-law. I'm sure she told her husband. Uh, can you talk to talk us through what happened next? Yeah. So her husband is my eldest brother. So with family, they mean well. But sometimes they just want to physically direct you and, you know, take control of the situation, which is not what I definitely didn't need at that time. Yeah. And a lot of people don't. And that's why we might be slow to tell family. Sometimes it might be someone just a little bit removed and speak to. So uh, as I had that day, I was telling you, I told my sister-in-law, I said, look, I'm off. Uh, she knows, please come back. I said, okay, look, I'll go for 30 minutes. I'll come back. So I came back and I said, oh, before I get, went, I said, don't tell my brother. Like, yeah, of course you won't tell my brother. And so as I came back, I rang their doorbell. And it's kind of funny, they have this big black door with a, a kind of a, a window in the middle of it. And I rang the doorbell and who comes towards the door when I arrived back is my brother. And I'm just there, oh, Jesus, here we go. He's going to be, let's do this, do this, do this. Come on, I got this. And, but as you open the door, um, one of the best moments of my life is he just hugged me. That's it. Ten years older than me, we don't hug. He just hugged me. And I kind of nestled in his shoulder and I just felt, well, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe there's a chance things could be okay. And we sat down then and he had called Pierre the house on the way. And they were willing to meet me. But of course, I'm there. There's no need for that. Like, I'm grand now. I'm fine. And then I kind of said, okay, he'll come with me. We'll go. But I wasn't doing it for me. I was doing it for them. So I had accepted. I hadn't bought into the process. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went to Pieta House. And very strange experience because this is a facility for people with mental health problems. And I just drive into this big kind of house, mansion house and you drive in the driveway and it's just normal and I'm there, but it should be underground, you know, should go in the darkness of night, covert, you know, operation kind of thing. But you go into a reception and I'm like, okay, this is very strange. And then you give your name and you sit and they ask you if you want a cup of tea and you just wait with everybody else. And you're like, do you not realize what's happening to me guys? Like, you know, and it's just very, and it, it's great because it's very normal. Mm -hmm. It's like going to a GP's. They call your name and then 
I was brought in and I was kind of assessed by one counsellor. It took me about two or three counsellors to settle in with yeah. one that really I clicked with. And that's a big point I want to say. People yeah. always say counselling doesn't work for them. Mm-hmm. No, the counsellor is a person. They're doing a process. You don't click yeah. with the person. That's fine. That is so fine. In life, you don't click with people. Yeah. My third person, she she was brilliant. She goes, Neil, I'm going to have to challenge you safely. And that was music to my ears because yeah. I didn't want to go when I was five, I did this and that she was there. No, let's get to the points. And she was so good that if she didn't, I, I, I analyze things and I'll throw things back at her. And if she didn't know, she would say, I'll check that for next time and I'll come back to you. So we could proper discussions, meaningful discussions, things that I needed to look at. And I think that's a really, really important point you just made that sometimes when we go to a counsellor and it doesn't click, we think, oh, that's it. I shouldn't really do this because it's not for me. When it really, it is a massive thing is that you get on with your counsellor, that there is, that they have the personality to be able to deal with you. And sometimes they challenge you safely, like you said. And uh, so it's amazing. Because you you also said that at start, you were were doing this for your family. You were going to get, if I put quotes on it, fixed for your family. Um, When did that change? So uh, it changed. I, I had my aha moment, I call it, in the book. And it's, um, so I went, they extended my sessions in Pieta House, really clicked with the counsellor. She was really good. Um, but then at about, I think, 20-something sessions in, she goes, Neil, I can't take you anymore. And I knew what she meant because I had run my course with her as, I, as in I was just telling her what she wanted to hear at this stage. And she clicked it. And she put her ego aside and she looked at me, the patient in front of her or the client or whatever you want to call me. And she goes, I will have to pass you to someone else because I think it's time. And I, I was there, wow, fair play to her. But yeah, I had run my course with her. I was I was just telling her what you, verbal diarrhea if you want, in a sense, what she wants to hear, that'd be fine. But then I walked out the door and I was remember I was on my way home and I had my aha uh, moment and it was that, the counselling sessions were brilliant. They were what I needed. I think we should all do counselling, irrespective yeah. if, if you go through something or not. It's always great to have an objective person just to hear sound out to. Yeah. And it should be a part of all our lives. And I just felt um, the counselling was brilliant, but it was put, I was in such a turmoil between depression, anxiety, and my thoughts that it was just putting out those fires each week. I needed to step forward, step ahead as well. Mm-hmm. And the only way I do believe that that is possible, that all these supports around you will be more beneficial for you, is if you accept and you take responsibility. Yeah, responsibility. The worst word you could ever hear when you're so low or you're so anxious, you're there. You're telling me to take responsibility. Are you kidding me? But trust me. Once you, I call it went from within, once you take that responsibility, counselling, talking, everything else will just propel you forward even more. Wow. And there's there's some tools I, I coached over. Some of the stuff that you took on um, to challenge yourself after that. Um, can you talk to me about your stand-up comedy career? Um, so improv, improvisers don't like to say comedy, they call it improvisation. So yeah. I always kind of, had a yearning to do a bit of acting and write. I love writing and acting and stuff like that. And if you know improv comedy, it's one of the 
Oh, I mean, like you're really putting yourself on a stage, exposing yourself. So the idea with improv is that you um, will be on stage eventually. You learn to you, the tools, but you'll be on stage eventually and the audience gives you a word and you, you, you non-scripted go about your scene. But there's beautiful tools within that that I learned to use in my daily life. It gave me so much confidence. I met so many, you know, like-minded people, it gave me so much confidence, but there's a tool called yes and. So if I'm on stage with you, Stephen, and, yeah. and someone says, oh, there's a pink elephant. And if you say no, sure, the scene's gone, right? You can't really develop that. But if you say yes, and he's flying in the corner of the sky or whatever, we can develop it. Yeah. So I've always found myself saying no to things because I didn't want to get out there and, and, and you know, maybe the mask would fall. Yeah. But then I started saying yes, and, and it opens up a world of opportunity to you. You can always go back then afterwards and say, no, I don't want to, but, you know, give things a try. And that was one of the things I learned from improv. And we had such good fun. And then I did acting courses as well. And I just found that in my life, I wasn't really doing things that I wanted to do because we live in a should society, detrimental to our health. And I'm a firm believer that my depression a lot of depression comes from traumas we have in our life. That's I'm a firm believer in that. And it, we have the power within us to change that. And you have to believe that. You should be living towards your values. And as I did improv and acting, I was living and finding my values and living more towards them. One thing I found through the book as well is that one sense, you you, before all these breakthroughs, that you had a sense that you were on your own. And... The ironic thing is that so many other people out there feel they're on their own, but we're not. We're all together and we all have these issues. Um, do you think that kind of common humanity made a big difference to you that uh, realizing that you weren't on your own? You weren't the only person that, that had these struggles and that there was help there. Yeah, totally. Like, uh, you know, you know, that I work with like companies and agencies as well. And I always ask them a question. And one of the biggest questions, uh, so I always say, what's your number one question on mental health? And they come back and is, I realize that people want to help. Oh, how can I help someone? How can I help someone that's struggling? So like when I revealed my story, the countless, I revealed it to a blog, the countless number of people that I didn't even know messaging me yeah. and opening up because of what I was doing. And saying, if you need any support, man, I'm here for you, any help. People that, like, far removed from me. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> there are people that want to help. It's thinking you're alone, that you're the only one struggling, because what we see is we see everybody seems to be going in a straight line, living the life they want, and they're, they're smiling through life, they're swimming through life, but we're struggling, going around in this circle, this loop constantly, like a hamster, yeah. you know? And there's no end in sight. So what you do feel is because you don't talk, you don't hear about anybody else's. Are you, what I found is that if you do hear about other people's experiences, they're on this platform, they're okay, they've overcome their struggles. Mm -hmm. that, that, I've got to a lot of speakers and they've overcome their struggles and that has distanced me from them straight away because yeah. I'm in the trenches. Yeah. That's good for you, dude, but you know, you're not giving me anything here. I, I, I'm still struck. So I'm the only one still stuck. That's what I felt. Right, of course. But like you said uh, earlier on, you have those tools in place to uh, to help you though, when, so that you know, like you said, you're exercising in the morning. And I know meditation has been a massive part um, 
did I hear you're into transcendental meditation? Transcendental meditation. Yeah, yeah, now, meditation. the reason I couldn't pronounce it is because it's something I don't know much about. <laughs> so, what? How would you describe <laughs> that to someone who is? I, I'm from a mindfulness background, and yeah. kind of to describe what the difference is. So, just on meditation as well, like with counselling, people say it doesn't work. People like me are like, okay, it's all those guys and their yogis and they're all, you know, out, out, in the, 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 out by the sea and they're humming and they're whatever. So what I did is I, respect, I, I wasn't ready for it. It took me about four or five years to gravitate towards it. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't push your, put pressure on yourself. When you're ready, you find the one that's for you. And meditation can be anything it, you want it to be. It can be sitting with a cup of coffee in the morning as you have the world to yourself, taking the time out then you can progress it. And that's what I did. I started with mindfulness. I liked it, but I, I just felt I was too on edge to, to really get into it. Um, and I wanted something. I, I tried Kundalini yoga and that was okay. That was good. Friends of mine did it, but I wanted something where I could literally, if I needed to sit on a bus with people around me and just do it. And that's when I found transcendental meditation. Literally all you do is you sit in a chair. They give you a mantra, one word that means nothing, that just brings back your focus. And you sit there and you do 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening. I was there, are you kidding me? I couldn't do two minutes. Now, the 20 minutes go so quickly. I, I nearly get angry that the 20 minutes is gone. <laughs> is it up already? It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's just so beautiful, right? Yeah. And what it does is it literally... It calms me because in the morning when you wake up, we have all these thoughts. I can feel myself on edge, and it calms me. It just gives me that calm. What I think of it is like, say, say if I was driving my car and I left someone out on the side road, and usually they, they did say thank you. I'd be like, you are, what are you doing? I hate you. And my day is ruined, whereas they're gone about their day. But what it does is I find a transcendental meditation just as I'm about to react, it calms me, it disconnects, and it give, I can't. It gives you that. That pause, that gap in between. Exactly, exactly. And I just feel calm. And I can feel my head calm. At the end of it, sometimes when I'm doing meditation, I'm there, no, I can't do this, I can't do it. And then just as over the time, just starts to calm. And it's beautiful. And what I do sometimes then is because what what our day, we are on automatic. We're on automatic. You're going talking to me now. You're going to do this next, do this. You've got a family, you've got to work, you do this. We don't stop. Yeah. We don't pause. We don't enter our days with intention either. What 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 meaning do we want to garner from each thing? So what I do with the transcendental meditation is, so after my talk with you, I'll just stop for a minute, close my eyes, and I won't do my mantra, I'll do release. So what I'll do is I'll just repeat release in my head, close my eyes, and I'll focus maybe on my jaw just to release the tension, maybe the knot in my stomach, release the tension in general in my body, do for three minutes, and then go about my next activity. Yeah. So what I'm doing is I, even though you don't think you might be stressed during a day, you are stressed yeah. without realizing it, just releasing it. You're just releasing these little stresses throughout the day. And that's, yeah. that's what I try to do. And it's a big part of my life, wow. like exercises as well. Yeah. I know now if I don't exercise for three days, my anxiety will spike. Right. I know that about me. And I, of course I'm human. I've let it go for three days. And my anxiety is fine. It's like you're testing yourself and I have to go back exercise. So it's about learning. You never stop learning about yourself. You, as I said, meditation, introduce it, but at your level. Whatever, there's so many forms out there. Find the one, two, three minutes for you and you will build in it, okay? 
I, I see um, what I'm getting sensing from you as well is a lot of acceptance of your journey and acceptance of where you are now. Would that be right? You have to. If you don't accept something, you can't honestly, truly address it. And that's what I realized. That was that aha moment when I left to get a house. It was, that was, it was the acceptance. I have to take responsibility. And it's hard. And sometimes you want to just, I, I'm going to say it, sometimes you just want to be the victim constantly in a sense because it seems easier, this comfort zone, this comfort zone that actually destroys us. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you want to be there because it seems comfortable. It's not, it's taking away. If I didn't take, today now, if I didn't get up and move, I had this little pressure of, Lowness here, I could feel the heaviness, and if I, and I'm fine now. And if I didn't take those steps, yeah. I'd be on the couch or in bed still, and I wouldn't be settled. I'd be moving and worrying and this and this and this, yeah. low and high and just ridiculous, mm-hmm. making no sense of my day, wasting it, and probably feeding into a crap day tomorrow and the day after. Yeah. Whereas now I'm doing this, being productive with you and being yeah. productive after. I've taken control. I might not be as productive as I want to be today, but I'm still productive. And that's the key. So acceptance of where you're at. And trust me, right? I do believe my 21 years with my mental health, in a sense, I lost them because I, I you know, I did two college degrees. I, did, I couldn't, I didn't know where, what I was doing. Mm-hmm. It's now, I'm 44. It's now I'm living my 20s, as in yeah. I'm out exploring the world. I'm, I'm doing, finding what I want to do. I'm, I'm working my passion like you are, you know, and I'm doing my way. I'm doing it my way. I'm living to my values. I'm not living to should anymore. I've accepted where I am. I've lost those years. I can't get them back. But what I can do is make damn sure the, the rest are, are the way I want to be. And yes, I dip, I dip, I dip. But I bring myself out of it. Yeah. I keep moving forward. Because you know why? I'm worth it. And you know why? You're worth it. We deserve to have the best life. Every one of us. Without question. Don't let anybody ever tell you you don't. If you're a teenager, someone in school says that to you, they don't know what they're talking about. Wow. The, uh, you're actually leading on very uh, easily to uh, another thing I want to chat about was that if there's somebody out there right now and they are struggling and they need advice, uh, what tips would you give them just where to start? First of all, don't put yourself under too much pressure that you have to talk straight away. There's so much information. Like there's your podcast, there's my uh, websites, my social media. What I would yeah. say is right. And if you do want to, I always tell people, message me if you want. I had a call the weekend right. from someone in another country that's struggling and probably couldn't go on. So she talked, she contacted me. So what I did is try to contact people. Do make contact if you can. If you don't want to talk, find people that you resonate with online and see what advice they give and put one small change into action, okay? One small change. If you don't want to talk right now, then go out and meditate or go for a walk, get fresh air. Uh, A lovely tip I I like, and I wrote in the book, I have these kind of needles note sections throughout the book, and I say memories, right? And I use memories as a strategy to flip my thoughts. We all have some beautiful memories, and we don't think we do when we're low. So what I mean is, is a child or, a, you know, it could be a couple of months ago, something beautiful happened. And if you think about that memory, it makes you smile. So, for example, I used to go to Chicago working during the summers in college. And every year there'd be a tune, a song, you know, that you would, uh, yeah. like the Venga Boys or something like this. Or, you know, and one year it was Irish scuba dolls. So what I oh. found is that if I play Irish scuba dolls, it brings me back into a beautiful memory that I have. 
So I go for a walk, a stroll, no pressure, put that on and it and I just replay it and it brings me to a beautiful time. Yeah. That's as simple as it is. It doesn't, we think all these steps have to be so complicated and I have to do this and this. Yeah. Simple steps. If you're at home and you're anxious, my biggest thing is change your location, move. Give yourself a little reward. Go to a coffee shop for a cappuccino and a bun. You know, pat yourself on the back. It's about breaking that cycle. Uh, yeah. Just breaking that cycle of, I feel bad, this is going to happen, and just predicting it. And just just putting those break like a walk, like to go for a coffee. And geez, that, that advice is just gold, I think. And mm-hmm. like you said, it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, no. sometimes we overcomplicate the, the solution. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it can be as easy as just being grateful. Just show yeah. what, what you're grateful for that day. Um, totally. I've really, really enjoyed uh, our conversation. And there's a question I have to ask because I ask every single guest uh, because we're, we have a mindfulness background and it's all about my, uh, mindful living. Um, if I say the words mindful living to you, Neil, what does it mean? What does it mean to live a mindful live, life? Live your way. Live the way you want to live. Okay, because as I said, we live towards... Like I do coaching with people and what I found is it's people come to a transformation in their life. So be it from school to college, you're comfortable in school, then you're, oh my God, college, and I have to do this course. Then it's college to work. Then it's work and I want to transition to another work. Or then you own a business and you want to sell it. What I found is people haven't thought this through and they think, oh, I need to get married. I need to do this. I'm 44. I'm single. I'm single. I should be married with three kids. I should, you know, whatever. No, I'm living my way. Because if I don't live my way, I'm not being true to myself. I'm not living to my values and I will uh, stir up and my depression will erupt and my anxiety and my thought process again. So now what I do is mindful living for me is every day I wake up and with, with you, even with this talk, I have an intention. I want you to understand me. I want Stephen to understand me. And what do I want from it? I want to have a good time on the podcast. That's my intention. So now when I go to do a meeting or, or work, I have an intention, what I want from that all the time. We don't live, don't live in automatic, live mindfully with an intention, what you want from each interaction you have each day. Okay. Turn off, turn off that automatic pilot. Yeah, totally. Totally. Listen, thank you. So if anyone's interested actually in your book, uh, I know it's coming out very soon. uh, Can you let us know where, where it'd be available? Yeah, it's going to be uh, on Amazon and uh, I'll be doing it through another site that will have it online bookstores as well. So hopefully, I was hoping the end of this month, I think it will be released. And uh, yeah, looking forward to that. So Brilliant. And what I'll do is uh, once we have all those links, I'll stick them on the show notes page. So uh, there'll be a link at the top of this podcast to the show notes page and anybody be able to uh, download it and uh, have a look and uh, order from Amazon. It has been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. Uh, I've been looking forward to this for, for a good while because I know how much of an advocate you are for mental health and just you're just so honest. We all are going to get those ups and downs in life and hopefully that the advice that we've shared today can help someone else in yeah. their ups and downs. Totally. Yeah, like, can I just say quickly, life has struggles. Life has struggles. Yeah. You can't get away from them. Choose the struggle for you. Choose your struggle. So a life has struggled. So like if you if you get a job you like, it's going to be a struggle at times. So if you get married and have kids and you, you're happy, that's it. It's going to be a struggle. But that's the struggle for you. Don't find struggles that they're of no benefit to you whatsoever. They're not what you want. And a lot of us live in those struggles that we don't want. Find your struggle, live your life, and live it well. Wow. 
what a way to end this uh, interview. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the Mindful Living Guide. Thank you, Stephen. Cheers. So there you have this week's episode with Neil. I'm absolutely honoured to have Neil on the show. He is a he's amazing. He is an advocate for everything there is about mental health and about knowing that we can get, as his book is called, to the other side. And but also realize it rising that there will be ups and downs and the acceptance that he has is just amazing but i think that's down to the tools that he has in place um the tools to know how to break that pattern how to disconnect from any negative patterns that he might have listen as i always like to do uh when we talk about um anything that uh, could trigger someone uh, i like to put supports on on the page and uh, this week is no different whatsoever so if you are struggling and uh, you do need, do need to speak to someone who may not be a family member there's always help out there there is the samaritans which is 116123 uh, from ireland and also pieta house who uh, neil chats about as well you can contact them on 1800 247 247 or else you can just text HELP to 51444. Listen, thank you so much for taking your time to listen to the Mindful Living podcast and helping us to grow and grow each week. Uh, it's an absolute honour to be able to share conversations like this that will help people navigate the ups and downs of their life. I'm Stephen Downey, and this has been the Mindful Living Guide. Mm-hmm.